On the current issues and the Constitution show, Professor Wilson will encourage you to stay informed and read the U.S. Constitution. The show is intended to shine a light on current issues that impact your daily life. Professor Wilson has twice received the American History Teacher of the Year Award in the state of West Virginia and is the recipient of many honors. He served in the armed forces and is currently a college professor. He is a true patriot who believes the understanding of the Constitution is key to our future and our future freedoms rest with informed youth. Please join us live where you can ask questions or listen on your time. Just follow the show feed to receive the latest shows delivered right to you. Don't miss any of these informative episodes. Are you ready? Take out a copy of the U.S. Constitution, a notepad, and let's get ready to learn. Welcome, everybody, for joining us. My name is Felice Gerwitz, and I'm the moderator of the current issues in the Constitution show. And with me on the line is Professor Wilson. Welcome. Thank you, Felice. Well, we had quite a... uh, yeah, we had quite a uh, interview last week, didn't we, with uh, Dr. Ron Paul? Yeah, you know, uh, talking to talking to him was just about as natural as talking to you or anybody else. Uh, that's one of the things I always liked about him. He was, um, he's not a stuffed shirt type. He's um, basically down to earth. He's a man of the people. I think he considers himself a citizen, equal to every other citizen. That's the approach I've always seen in him uh, over the years. So it was a delight to talk to him, and uh, I think we learned a little bit about his new curriculum, although the details are still lacking and will be until it comes out. Right, right. And so, um, you know, it, it was interesting to me because, you know, I'm up on social media, and, um, you know, quite frequently, I am, um, you know, keeping track of what's going on. And so something came into my inbox, and I was shocked to find that um, it was not a very nice Twitter uh, comment about us having uh, Ron Paul on. And hmm. so, some um, liberal, no you know, doubt. Yeah, uh, and it, it was like some, you know, supposed watchdog. And I, I did. Uh, turn them in because you can, um, you know, do that. And it, the Twitter said it wasn't within the, you know, the parameters where they would block this person's account um, because they just, they, it's called tagging. So they just uh, tagged, you know, Ultimate um, Homeschool Radio Network and not my name specifically. So, but uh, it only came through once, so that was a good thing. But it must be, you know, they look for his name, and whenever his name comes up, they have, you know, something negative to say. And I think that's just part of, um, you know, being a public figure. But, yeah, you uh, know, the, that that agenda that he's liberal, socialist, progressive, whatever you want to call them, uh, they're good Americans, and, and they believe in what they're doing. But, you know, the network that they have established we can't really know what it is and how extensive it is, but it is. It does exist, and it uh, has some power behind it. Um, and I just always wonder, you know, what what are all the different avenues that they're into in order in in pushing this this whole agenda? So right. that kind of raises a question again: What else are they doing? They're keying in on Ron Paul. Why uh, to attack him? To 
discredit him, to destroy him in some way, to counter him? Uh, you know, why are they doing that? And, and this Twitter that you're talking about, where did that information go? And who set this up? Who is doing this? Who's tagging Ron Paul? Who else are they tagging? And all of those kinds right. of questions are raised by, raised by that one little incident. Right. So, but, you know, they always say if you're doing something right, just plan on uh, getting some attention, you know. Yeah. So so that's a good thing. Well, you wanted to um, kind of recap um, about that? Um, yes, you... I, I think you yeah. got some questions last time that we didn't have a chance to talk about. I thought since you and I have read the book, Maybe we could answer some of those questions or at least uh, steer people in the right direction. Okay. One of the questions dealt with uh, scholarships, and that's just something that they're going to have to take up with with Dr. Paul and his curriculum. They were saying that, um, I guess, for the high school years, even at, at $250 a year as well as $50 per subject, they were not going to be able to handle that. So they had asked if there were particular scholarships available, um, and I don't think his book, I don't remember it addressing it, Woody, do you? No, he didn't mention it. Yeah, so um, that was one. And then, um, actually, I don't think I wrote down the other one, but it was it was along those lines um, that if they, something about doing the, the free curriculum, um, if they would have to pay for that uh, $250. And from what I understand, you don't unless you want to join the forum and get help from people within that forum um, because no help would be available, obviously, because it was free. Right. So, um, but And then the other was on, you know, uh, his thoughts on Affordable Care Act, but <laughs> we don't have him here to ask, and I'm sure... Uh, you and I know what his his thoughts would be. Uh, so. Yes, I think we know exactly. Yeah. So, but that was really that was about it. And uh, you know, hopefully, once he gets this curriculum in gear, uh, we'll we'll be happy to have him back and hear um, you know maybe some more specifics about about it and uh, you know what what else he has in the works. But today, you are going to talk about some of the uh, current events happening. So I'll yes, um, go ahead and do that and then if I have any questions I'll I'll jump in. Yeah, some things are really breaking here and um I think we're going to spend longer on current events than I had hoped to. Nonetheless, these are important considerations and there are some constitutional issues that we need to take a look at look at in regards to these current events. First of all, the affordable care fiasco chaos uh continues the uh, Affordable Care Act website crashed again yesterday, and this is their you know their second time, the second group of technical experts uh, trying to deal with the software. And the problem is, uh, see what's the date today? The 11th, December the 11th, December the 23rd is a deadline uh, that's set up by the Affordable Care Act for signing up for the program. If you've lost your insurance or you didn't have insurance to begin with, but you have until December 23rd to sign up for it in order to have medical coverage on January the 1st. And that's what, eight days later. Uh, so with this thing crashed again and um, a deadline coming up, it uh, looks like a lot of people are going to be stranded out there without health care. 
heaven forbid that they should have an, an accident or an, an illness, illness develop or anything like that. Another thing we're seeing is that tax is now in effect on medical equipment and new technology. Uh, this is um, this is going to drive up medical care costs even more than they already are. Um, any kind of uh, med medical instruments, uh, equipment, uh, to technology, research and development, all of those now are subject to a very hefty tax. So doctors and hospitals are going to have to pay more if this tax remains in effect uh, for the equipment that they need. And, of course, they'll pass that cost on to us, and insurance premiums will have to go up to accommodate it and all those kinds of things. So this is just another uh, chink in the armor. And it's understood that in 2014 there are some big items coming along that people are going to be very unhappy with, including taxes. We're also finding out that young people are not signing up. Now remember the Affordable Care Act forces them to sign up or pay a fine, like $95 a month, I believe it is. I, it might be $95 a year, but that doesn't sound like um, the kind of thing that would force them to buy. Now, before we go on with, with this piece of news, if you would please turn in your Constitution to Article 1, the legislative branch. The Founding Fathers believed that uh, in a thing called uh, legislative ascendancy, they thought the legislative branch would have the real power, the real influence, uh, because it most closely represents the people. And it was that way uh, for the most part until about oh, the beginning of the 20th century and then presidents um, because of world wars and other problems uh, uh, emerged as leaders or father of the nation or whatever. And so the power locus shifted to the president. Nonetheless, Article 1 was the first article, and as you've probably already seen, it is by far the longest article based on the principle of legislative ascendancy. Now, um, once you're in Article 1, please find Section 8. And let's take a look at Clause 2. Now, Section 8 is powers given to Congress. Now, and there are 17 of them. And it, essentially, uh, according to the Constitution and the constitutional philosophy of the founders and of most Americans um, up through the 20th century, this, these are the only powers that Congress should have. Everything else is reserved to the states by the Tenth Amendment. Okay, well, as we know, Congress has certainly exceeded what the powers that are given to them in Section 8. These are called enumerated powers, numbered powers. And that was the idea to limit the power of government, to limit Congress to these 17 specific powers. And again, we've exceeded them. Now look at Clause 2, Article 1, Section 8, Clause 2. Congress has given the power to regulate commerce with foreign nations and among the several states and with the Indian tribes. Now, basically four words here, among the several states. We call that interstate commerce. Yes, Congress can regulate it. Now, when it says that Congress can regulate interstate commerce, 
among the several states, do you see, or can you even close your eyes and sense, anything in those four words that empowers Congress to force people to participate in interstate commerce? Are we required by Article 1, Section 8, Clause 2 to participate in interstate commerce? Can Congress pass a law like the Affordable Care Act that forces us to buy health insurance? Even when we're young and healthy and we've got other uh, financial things that we need to attend to, like paying off our student loans, maybe getting married, buying a house, having a car would be nice. And so we, we, we put off health care. Well, to pay for everything that the Affordable Care Act has set up, they really need these young people, these young wage earners, to get into the program in order to pay for it. So this this is what we're talking about. Um, so the Supreme Court took up this question uh, last year in the in the case uh, called NFIB versus Sebelius. Now the long title is National Federation of Independent Business versus Sebelius, Secretary of Health and Human Services at all. So the NFIB is the National Federation of Independent Business. Now these are businesses that come together in a single coalition, uh, pretty much like the National Chamber of Commerce, and they do things to protect the interests and pursue the interests of businesses throughout America. Now, there were several states and hospitals and uh, businesses that sued against the, the Affordable Care Act to start with, but this is the one that was uh, noted and articulated. This is the one that comes to the Supreme Court, and this is the one that was argued. So the Supreme Court, as you know, in NFIB versus Sebelius, upheld the Affordable Care Act, and Chief Justice John Roberts, a conservative, supposedly, um, and I think we talked about this before, but uh, when the case was over with, the justices get together, they take a straw poll, Roberts voted with the four other conservatives, 5-4, to overturn something, the Affordable Care Act or something within it, perhaps that single clause requiring citizens of the United States to buy something. And then later on, as the weeks passed, um, he basically changed his mind, and he voted with the liberals to uphold the Affordable Care Act, and he said that the bone of contention was... Clause 2, among the several states. And so he said, it's not a fine, it's actually a tax. And Congress certainly in Article 1, Section 8, is given the power of taxation. So it's not a fine. The Affordable Care Act says that it is a fine. That is the word that Congress used. It is a fine. I don't know how the Chief Justice can justify changing that language and saying it's not a fine at all, it's a tax and therefore it's constitutional. Now, I don't know why he changed his mind in the second place. Nonetheless, going back to the point, um, information has come out that young people are not 
signing up. So what is this? A rebellion? It is a um, non-participation? Is it something that's going to spread? And if people refuse to sign up on it, if that gets into the hundreds of thousands or millions or whatever, um, that in itself, you're not going to arrest and prosecute all those people. That in itself could destroy the Affordable Care Act. If Americans just refused to participate. But that's, you know, that's easy to say, but what about people that don't have medical coverage? You know, what are they going to do? What if they have medical problems, medical expenses? So this is a real fiasco, and it is ongoing. Doctors are dropping out. Um, I don't uh, have any information about how many or how fast, uh, but it's going on almost every day. I found out this morning uh, from one doctor that the Affordable Care Act has really onerous, punitive, online requirements. Doctors are going to have to get whole new computer systems and software. They're going to have to hire more people. So rather than do that, doctors are dropping out, going into some other field, some other field of medicine. So that's going to be a real problem. The polls continue to show 59% of the American people are opposed to the Affordable Care Act, 37% approve, and that's holding pretty much steady. We also find out that unions, like small businesses, have been exempted by the president, by executive order, for at least one year from participating in the Affordable Care Act. So friends of the president are being excused. Everybody else, line up and pay. So keep an eye on the Affordable Care Act. I know that the president and his people are desperately trying to change the subject, uh, but they're having trouble to do this because this is hitting a lot of people and it's hurting. Now, the next item, the Iran Treaty, you know, that doesn't really bother Americans so much. Americans aren't really interested in it. It's not hurting them. It's not causing them any problems. They can't see the long-term effects. Not interested in foreign affairs. It's not costing them any money one way or the other. So if the Iran Treaty that Senator, or excuse me, Secretary John Kerry, Secretary of State, has been negotiating with Iran, with the leaders of Iran, um, if that thing is approved by the Senate, will it deflect? I, I suspect the president is very worried about his popularity rating. Um, it's as low as it ever was, and it's down under 40% someplace. And if he can get a foreign affairs triumph after several presidents failed and get a treaty with Iran towards a resolution of their ambitions to build nuclear weapons, well, Maybe that will stop the free fall in the polls. Maybe he'll even come back up in terms of approval uh, from the American people if he can get this thing passed, if he can get it done. I know when Jimmy Carter was president, and he engineered the Camp David Accords, which basically established a relationship of friendship between Muslim Egypt and Jewish Israel. Uh, his poll ratings uh, went sky high. So perhaps uh, the White House people are thinking that they can do the same thing. Well, another hearing has been held in the House of Representatives Foreign Affairs Committee, and John Kerry was raked over the, over the coals. And, and from this hearing, we get a couple of things. First of all, then this is the real problem. And it just amazes me how our elected leaders sometimes just ignore 
the law. In this case, they're ignoring six United Nations resolutions that we actually sponsored before Obama became president. So six resolutions over the years that forbade or, you know, it, it would forbid uh, enrichment of nuclear materials. Now, that's a system where you, you set up what's called a centrifuge. It's basically a spiral. You put in a small amount of uranium ore, and you spin it at tremendously high speeds, and it separates the different impurities, uh, the ore, for example, and basically what you come up with is a piece of pure uranium. And when you have that and when you have enough of it, you can make a bomb. So the United Nations resolved six times that Iran was not allowed to enrich uranium. And they put sanctions. We put sanctions. The European community put sanctions on Iran to make life very difficult for them if they didn't cooperate with the international community on this thing. All right, so the... the um, Sanctions were beginning to bite. They were beginning to really hurt Iran, Iran's military system, uh, the ability to buy new technology and, and all of those kinds of things. And that is probably why Iran is, is even joined negotiations, which they refused to do for several years in the first place. Well, the problem is the treaty that John Kerry has engineered would allow enrichment totally ignoring six United Nations resolutions, this treaty would allow enrichment to continue. All right, so uh, John Kerry and, and his uh, cohorts are out there really pushing and, and trying to advance this treaty and sell it to Congress, especially to the Senate, because the Senate has to approve it. Now, if you would, you probably still have your Constitution in your hand. Turn to Article 2. Section 2, and I'll sh we'll take a look at that language. Article 2, Section 2, Clause 2, the very first sentence. He shall have power, meaning the president. We're talking about powers of the president. He shall have power by and with the advice and sent by advice and consent of the Senate to make treaties, provided two-thirds of the senators present concur. So in order for this treaty to become the law, in order for the United States to approve and participate in this treaty, the treaty will have to get a two-thirds majority vote in the Senate. If you've been following it, we have heard several senators uh, demurring and saying that they would not support it and that what they really want is more sanctions on, or on Iran, tougher sanctions. So will this treaty, and, you know, if the United States doesn't approve it, basically the treaty is dead. So it's all in the hands of the Senate now. Now we have uh, two systems, two principles, separation of powers, Three branches of government. Checks and balances. This is a check on the president's power. Too bad they didn't put more checks on the president's power. But we'll get into that later. So a lot of opposition. And uh, keep an eye on that one because 
it should come to a vote fairly soon. Now, probably Harry Reid, the Democrat majority leader, probably supports the treaty, and he has the power to hold off the vote. <clears throat> we might not see a vote for quite some time. Okay, Woody, we have a few questions here, not necessarily all along those lines, but um, of what you've been touching on. But uh, one was, um, what do you think about uh, Obama going up and shaking Castro's hand and bowing? It looked that way to me, to him. Um, also, what do you think of the selfies he took at, uh, at Mandela's uh, eulogy? And the fact that he oh, and the fact that he spent more time talking about himself than Mandela during the eulogy. Exactly. This is um, this is um, uh, vintage Obama. Uh, that's what he is. Uh, I remember when he was running for president, or maybe he had just been elected. Somehow, somewhere, I found an article by an Israeli psychiatrist that uh, basically made it very, very clear that, in his opinion, um, President Barack Obama is a narcissist. That is um, uh, very egocentric, uh, self-love. Um, it's all about him. He is the thing that is important. Uh, so as far as his behavior at the Mandela thing, um, that is just typical Obama. You know, when he was first elected, he went around the world bowing to people and apologizing for the war in Iraq and, and all, everything else America has done. He's part of the blame America crowd. Uh, mm -hmm. It's an amazing thing that somebody like that would be in the White House, but uh, that's what the, the people decided. I saw a uh, photograph this morning that just made me... It just really made me sad. Um, does everybody know what a selfie is? Uh, basically, when you hold out a, a cell phone and you take a photograph of yourself. Yes. While somebody was speaking or delivering a eulogy, he um, gets together with the, I think it was the Prime Minister of Britain and, and another one. They got together and they all have great big grins on their faces. And the President of the United States is taking a selfie. During a time that should be solemn, um, Nelson Mandela was a great man, and he did a great deal for the rights of people, and we're there to mourn him and to eulogize him, and you are sitting there with big grins on your faces taking selfies? Uh, that was uh, very uh, – in answer to that question, which is an excellent question, something has always uh, bothered me for since 2008, it's uh, – it's uh, very disappointing, uh, to say the very least, to see this behavior, to shake hands with Raul Castro or any other dictator of an oppressive, totalitarian, tyrannical regime that suppresses people, that puts them in prison without a jury trial and all those other things, to dignify that individual. That's not what we expect of our president. And I'm sure the questioner would agree. Yeah. And so, Woody, what would have been the appropriate um, demeanor for that? I would, I would say very sedate and very solemn, giving one's total attention to the speaker. No, I mean... I mean, um, you don't go to somebody's funeral and laugh and, and no, right. do, do things like that. You don't do that. Mrs. But, Obama did not seem amused. In fact, she was. She looked very upset by what was going on. Yeah, she was. I think she was um, uh, appropriately mourning 
and in her own mind eulogizing the death of this great man. I think she was. I give her credit. Maybe we should make her president. <laughs> what, uh, Can we do that? What I I meant, no, I don't think so at this point, but I don't think she'd be very much better. Um, uh, at What I was referring to is what would have been the appropriate stance um, if you're in a line and there are people um, and you're shaking hands with a row of people and you see a dictator, would you have just looked at him and walked on without shaking his hand? I mean, what would what would be a, an appropriate gesture to, um, you know, show your displeasure? I guess, well, let's, you know. Uh, let's ask our audience. Okay. What they think would uh, be the appropriate gesture. And let's ask Felice Gerwitz what she thinks would be the appropriate I, <laughs> gesture. And then I'll tell you what I, I think. Okay. I, I, let's, um, it, it takes about an 18-second delay here for our audience to hear it. So I'll okay, wait and I'll look, at the, I'll look at the chat room. I, I would have just, you know, first of all, if I had had, um, you know, Obama's height, you know, you could have very disdainfully looked, glared at him and walked on and, and just let him, if the man had his hand out, he kind of seemed shocked that he was having his hand shaked. He didn't look very comfortable, you know, um, in the exchange. And it wasn't, um, then he said yeah. something as Obama was moving on and Obama, you know, answered him. But, um you know, I think I would have just let him keep his hand out and, and you know, let him know in no uncertain terms that um, I wasn't pleased or, um, you know, take a page out of uh, Mother Teresa's book um, when she met with, and the Pope as well, when they met with uh, President Clinton. And uh, as my mother-in-law would say, give him the what for. Because... <laughs> <laughs> She kind of lectured him a little bit. Okay, so yeah. let's say uh, Tara says hands to the side and a nod of the head in acknowledgement. And um, oh, good, yeah. You know, and so um, not seeing anything else. Oh, Arola said God said to shake the dust off, and I agree with Tara and Felice. So yeah, I think um, uh, my answer was I like. Uh, Tara's answer better than mine, uh, but I was going to say uh, just shake his hand very briefly, give him a hard look, say nothing. Uh, you don't, we don't want an international crisis here. Uh, mm-hmm. But, but you know, really behind all this, um, I've been paying attention for the last six years. Uh, President Obama has has put into effect initiatives to cozy up to uh, – Countries like uh, people like Chavez down in Venezuela, Castro in Cuba, um, potentates in the Middle East. Uh, he really has made the initiative to try to communicate with these people. And I, because and this describes his narcissism, I think he really believed that because he was elected president and because he was black and because he was liberal, that these people would talk to him and make deals with them, and they would stop doing the things that, like supporting al-Qaeda, for example, um, that that um, Americans want stopped. He really thought that those kinds of things would happen. So I have no doubt that President Obama has had conversations, or at least his people in the State Department have had 
very warm and friendly conversations with people in Cuba, for example, and several other countries as well. So it might be that that handshake and the words that were exchanged was an acknowledgement of a relationship he's trying to develop. Now, before him, before Obama, uh, we took a cold, hard stance towards dictators, uh, towards countries with suppressive systems that gave the people no rights whatsoever, that abused them, that oppressed them, that even tortured and killed them. In many cases, uh, we always stood against that. We took the moral high ground. And it's like in the last six years we have let that go. So, Yeah, that comment in the chat room said that is scary, and it's true, it is very scary. Yes, it uh, is. Not, yes, not it a is. good thing. And we already understand that this administration does not respect the Constitution. They apparently right. do not respect the people. And they, to them, it's they're in the White House and they've got the power. And the Constitution doesn't matter. The Congress doesn't matter. Uh, President Obama didn't even work with Congress during that budget impasse uh, several weeks ago, uh, back in late September and early October. Uh, so that's just the stance that they've taken, the pose that they've taken, and I'm afraid we're stuck with it. I think if um, Republicans are able to hold on to the House and, and uh, take the Senate in 2014, then I think we'll see some changes. But um, until that time, uh, it's just going to be business as usual, Obama style. All right. One more question before we go to the break, Woody, and that is, uh, the question was, do girls have to sign up or just boys for the select service? Oh, good question. That That is especially a good question because I don't know. Um, I hadn't heard the uh, uh, selective service sign-up thing mentioned for many, many years until last week when somebody brought up the question. Uh, but I know that boys still have to sign up, and I don't know about girls. I kind of doubt it. I don't think we're that far along yet. But um, I would say to the students that asked that, uh, please look that up and share share with us what you find out uh, next week. Good question. Okay. Let's go to a quick break, and then we'll be right back. The American Government and Elections class is a remarkable look at the workings of the U.S. government, the election process, and how the Constitution sets the stage for the democracy that we enjoy today. This video series contains 32 hours of class recorded with a live audience taught by accredited AP and award-winning professor of American history, Robert Woodrow Wilson. This class is sure to energize your students with a love of learning. The classes are on demand on your time to view from the comfort of your own home. Created specifically for the high school level homeschooler, this AP level class can be enjoyed by students of all ages. Recorded and produced by Media Angels, a name you trust for quality products. Need more information? No problem. Go to MediaAngels.com and visit our class link. or. Go to AmericanHistoryKidsClass.com and get ready to claim your seat. Hurry, because class is starting. All right, welcome back. My name is Felice Gerwitz, and I am the moderator of Current Issues in the Constitution. 
And today with me on the line, as always, is Professor Wilson. And before we went to the break, uh, we uh, took a couple of questions, but we also discussed, um, Professor Wilson asked uh, the students and uh, parents listening what they would do um, if they were the president and had met uh, with Castro. And so um, I think some of the kids posted here in the chat room, so let me read some of those. Um, one, Sierra says, uh, a quick handshake and a little, a little eye contact and moving swiftly along while shaking give no impression that, that he was engaging Castro. Right. So, I like that. Yeah, I like that too. And then, um, Abigail agreed with, uh, with the, um, you know, a very, uh, quick shake of the hand too. Um, or no, hands on the side and nod in acknowledgement. And then there was another comment too that said um, if he had walked along holding his wife's hand or his right hand around her waist, um, it would have been more obvious that he was not inclined to shake. So, you know, True. just obviously yeah. giving. Sending a message um, in advance, right. Yeah. Good. Yeah, and, and also stand tall without avoiding the impression that he was bowing. So. Yeah, I, you know, I, I think a part of the issue here also lies with, you know, how we, you know, most of us listening to this obviously are not very happy with the president's act, actions. We're definitely among the uh, 54% disapproval rating I saw um, this morning, uh, which is his worst, and they were, um, you know, saying that um, this was similar to some other presidents, uh, some who were able to recover and others who weren't. And, of course, the liberal media this morning was very optimistic that Obama would be recovering. Um, I don't know how um, they're coming about that, um, especially in light of some of the things going on. Of course, they were not appalled by by the pictures, um, you know, at, at the uh, service, and one of them said, well, it wasn't the funeral. You know, it was just uh, a memorial service. But, um, you know, it, it's just again shows that they obviously really enjoy um, anything that President Obama does and they're going to see it in a good light. And, you know, those of us listening uh, to this broadcast obviously have a, a different um, outlook to that. And I think that's why, you know, we see things like, well, it obviously looked like he was bowing or he was being uh, cordial when he shouldn't have been. But we can um, also see that, you know, it, it really is, again, an indication of what we've been seeing um, from this president, really nothing, um, you know, as you pointed out, Woody, that is a surprise. And that is very, very unfortunate. And we can, you know, just hope that, um, you know, that the damage that has been done uh, can at some point in the future be circumvented because at this point it just looks, you know, like, We'd need divine intervention here. That <laughs> doesn't look like it's getting better. That would be very but, useful at this point. Yeah. <laughs> oh gosh. Well, you are going to address a couple of more things that are on the list here, and are you ready to go go with those? Okay. Well, let me finish up this Iran thing very briefly. But first, I wanted to sure. um, uh, tell you just a very small story, um, and may, makes me think about what. Um, Barack Obama really wants um, President uh, Franklin D. Roosevelt 
after the election, and well, actually, it was several weeks after the election, and Harry Truman was his new vice president. Uh, he had a lunch with uh, Harry Truman, and this is the only time he ever talked to his vice president. It's one single time. And in that conversation, he said, well, when the war is over with, uh, you might be the president because I'm thinking about resigning and becoming the Secretary General of the United Nations. And he was serious, according to Truman's memoirs. So I just wonder, you know, sometimes uh, uh, I'm thinking about a narcissist, and I really think that uh, Barack Obama is a good and decent human being from, from what I've seen. If he hadn't become involved in politics with his narcissistic inclination, uh, he would probably be a very likable and popular person. But when you become president of the United States, people are going to come after you. doesn't matter uh, if you're a Republican or a Democrat. Uh, you will be attacked uh, by somebody. So I just wonder, uh, because we know and we have seen that uh, President Obama is into globalism. He's into European socialism. He has made overtures uh, to totalitarian countries and to third world countries. And I just wonder uh, what his plans are for when he is no longer president of the United States. I just wonder if that um, is kind of motivating him. But back to the Iran thing, that's just something to, you know, you follow the news and you just see and hear little blips here and there and you kind of put them all together and um, you have a picture that makes you wonder. Uh, Nothing definite, but. But is it possible? But back to the Iran thing, uh, John Kerry said yesterday, and uh, and I want to warn you about this. He said that this treaty will be a step forward in relationships with the larger Middle East. Oh, and I wrote uh, in my notes, oh, really? Whenever a professional politician tells you that if you will support this, it will be a step forward to good things, uh, immediately oppose it. Uh, because that is just a rationale, and he knows very well that it is not a step forward. That hornet's nest in the Middle East is stirred up and has been for several decades, and this treaty is not going to stop it. And lastly, on Iran, a brand-new Quinnipiac or Quinnipiac poll, 40% of the American people approve of what Kerry is doing of the treaty, and 48% disapprove. So 12% have no opinion, probably have no idea uh, what's going on. So again, the American people are not so interested in this. They're interested, yes, but not as much as they are in the Affordable Care Act thing. All right, another piece of breaking news. uh, uh, Yesterday, Paul Ryan and Patty Murphy. Uh, Paul Ryan, as you know, is the um, chairman of the Budget Committee, a Republican from Wisconsin in the House of Representatives. And Patty Murphy is a senator from Washington, and she is the chair of the Budget Committee in the Senate. So you remember when we had the government shutdown and the stalemate, um, a committee was formed of, of 20, 10 from the Senate, 10 from the House, equal number of Republicans and Democrats, to sit down together and hammer out a budget. Well, they did. They did it, and they announced it yesterday. We don't have the details yet. Um, but nonetheless, this uh, Paul Ryan heard Paul Ryan say, remember, he was the vice presidential candidate with uh, Mitt Romney in the last election. 
heard him say that this, and I kind of doubt it, but he said this is the first bipartisan budget bill since 1986, back when Reagan was president. I haven't had a chance to research that, but I'm not sure maybe he means something else. And he also said that uh, they are hoping for a vote in the House and the Senate on Thursday. I'll bet they are. Uh, that way, it's, it's like they did with the Affordable Care Act. Rush it through so people don't have time to get a copy, examine it. Are they trying to do that with this budget agreement that they have? I don't know how long the bill is. Uh, they didn't say. In fact, I don't know much about it at all. But let me just give you the few points I did get. One thing it does is it cuts the uh, annual deficit. That's when Congress spends more money each year than they take in by $23 billion over 10 years. Well, that's, um, that's laughable, and I can't believe that a good Republican, Paul Ryan, would, would sign on to something like that. In other words, they're going to cut $2.3 billion from the deficit over a 10-year period. Now, the deficit has been in running at $900 billion to a $1 trillion every year that Obama's been president. And they're going to cut $2.3 billion per year? That will make no difference at all. That's peanuts. Uh, one thing that I liked uh, that's in the bill, and this, remember, this is a compromise bill. And it's one of the problems with the democracy. Compromises don't solve anything. The problem just goes on and on and on. Uh, you need radical change if you want to solve a problem, and that's hard to get when you've got two powerful political parties. One has the House and the other one has the Senate. But one thing that uh, conservatives will like, no more military cuts. We're going to, the president will not be able to slash the military budget anymore. Another one conservatives like, no new taxes. No tax increases to pay for an Affordable Care Act or anything else. No cuts. Now, this one I didn't understand. He said uh, that, that there will be cuts, there will be cuts in autopilot programs. I assumed he meant entitlements. Found out later in the broadcast that that's not what he meant. So I don't know what he means by autopilot programs. Probably funding of uh, discrete and remote governmental agencies that nobody has even heard of. That just goes on and on and on without... Uh, any reason. Another thing that I liked is that the federal bureaucrats, and there are more than three million of them now, are going to pay more for their pensions, for their retirement. When I was teaching, my uh, the amount of money I paid for my retirement uh, system increased every year, as did my medical care. It cre increased every year for about the last 15 years of my career. I'm glad to see federal bureaucrats now are going to pay a little bit more. In order to raise money to finance um, all of these things, rather than tax increases, they're going to open up the Gulf of Mexico for oil, offshore oil drilling. Uh, you remember the BP spill. I'm sure a lot of people uh, down on the Gulf Coast are not going to like that. Maybe folks in Western Florida will not like that, uh, not like to hear that. You certainly don't want another oil spill like that one. And I'm sure the Environmental Protection Agency and lots of other environmental groups are going to scream and yell bloody murder uh, because they would like to shut down uh, petroleum altogether. You know, remember, 
a few couple three years ago there was uh, somebody was taking a video of this guy in the Department of Energy and he was addressing his colleagues and he made the statement we're going to crush the petroleum industries that's an amazing thing when a federal bureaucracy paid for by the American people is trying to destroy the oil industry and um, that's going to cost us all tremendous amounts of money if they were ever able to do that. But anyway, I thought I'd mention that. So open the Gulf of Mexico for oil drilling. And this budget agreement also has language that will prevent any future in IRS, Internal Revenue Service, checks to prisoners or to dead people scammers, people who get Social Security numbers from people that have died, or Hackers over in Singapore and Czechoslovakia that got $25 billion in checks from the IRS. We talked about that. There will be cuts to what I call corporate welfare. Corporations are filthy rich. Um, I don't think they need my money to help them for research and development. So I'm very glad to see cuts. I would like to see a total elimination. Uh, you know, get the government off their back uh, and take away the subsidies and the payment of the taxpayers' money to these corporations and let them uh, operate in the free market. Uh, at least this is a movement in that direction. But a step in that direction? Hmm. Hold that one suspicious. Next, this bill does not address, and here's some things it does not do. It does not address the national debt. Runaway, $17 trillion and growing. Perhaps the greatest threat to American security is the national debt. And nobody in Washington, D.C. seems to be all that concerned about it. It does not really cut the deficit. It does not really cut it. Probably won't at all. It does not include entitlement cuts or entitlement reforms, which are the real problem with both the national debt and the annual deficit. That's the real problem. This is a constant, steady and rapid growth of entitlement spending. It's up around 70, 75% now. And finally, there's no tax reform, uh, which we desperately need for fairness, for equality, for efficiency. And final thought on, on the whole thing, what is in that bill that we don't know and why are they rushing it? And I feel betrayed by Paul Ryan, I really do. Um, you know, let's 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 do the democracy thing. Let's wait a while. Let's get it out in the sunshine. Let's let the American people examine this bill. And if we don't have time to do that ourselves, um, let the people who do have the time do it. Let Tea Party conservatives have a look at it. Let's hear what they have to say, and um, then we'll talk about whether to pass it or not. This just basically sounds, sounds like a feel-good, uh, bipartisan, we can get along, we can be buddies uh, type of thing after the animosity and the hostility of the shutdown process. Uh, but it just as I look at the whole thing, it just doesn't really do much at all. So keep an eye on that one. I think we have time to one more issue here, the war, so-called War on Christmas. Uh, some atheist group put up a sign in Times Square, and it says, it's a big poster, it says, Who needs Christ during Christmas? Nobody. 
All right, so who is this group? Uh, who is funding them? And uh, we learned from the Pew, they also are sending out lot, thousands of letters to schools and department stores. We talked about this last week, uh, threatening them with lawsuits, advising them that the law says that they cannot uh, celebrate Christmas, that they cannot have Christmas carols in their school, that uh, in the department stores you're not allowed to say Merry Christmas and all those things. And all those things are not true, but they're sending out the lies anyway. Atheists are people that are not bound by morality, so apparently they have no problems with lying. A Pew Research Center survey shows us in the American population, and this one kind of surprised me a little bit, and it's kind of encouraging, 2.4% of the American people are atheists. 2.4%. That means 98.6% are not. And they showed a graph. They had a log graph that went back like 10 years and hardly any change at all in the number of atheists in America. 3% of the American people des describe themselves as agnostic. That means that they are not atheists, but they are doubtful. They have doubts. They're wondering. They're investigating. They're researching. They're uh, trying to decide uh, whether they believe in God or and, and what God and, and all those kinds of things. And 14% of the people uh, reported themselves as unaffiliated. Uh, they believe in God, but they do not belong to a particular church. Um, they just are not religious people. So uh, Charles Krauthammer was on the air. Now, Charles Krauthammer is a name you want to remember, and it's a guy that you want to look up. It's a guy you want to read. He has a best-selling book out now that I'm reading uh, called Things That Matter. It is an excellent read. It really makes you think. The thing I like about Krauthammer, now he's a very bright man. Uh, he's a political uh, philosopher, life philosopher. He um, got his degree in psychiatry at Harvard, uh, so he's uh, a very sharp individual. Uh, he was diving off a diving board one day, and, and it was apparently a little too shallow. He went straight down hit his head, crushed his neck, and the spine in the neck, and good thing a friend was there and, and saw him dead in the water and pulled him out or he would have drowned. And he was paralyzed from the neck down for uh, several years, and he was able to regain the use of his hands and his arms uh, on a limited basis, but he is still in a wheelchair. He is a regular contributor uh, to Fox News, and I have a great deal of respect for his opinion on things. He's very, very balanced. He's not a screamer, yeller, name caller, and that sort of thing. And one of the things I like about him is he's sort of like me in the 60s. Krauthammer and I were both Democrats. And we, were, we were both kind of liberal. And we were both kind of interested in this thing called communism. And we both, through learning, studying, through experience, realized that that is the wrong way to go. Um, I think we were both young and dumb and didn't know much. Uh, so we grabbed at what seemed to be popular. So over the years, we both moved further and further and further to the right and basically became hardcore conservatives. So I, I think we have a certain a foot grounded in the liberal community, but our hearts and our souls are in the conservative community. Um, so Krauthammer, and that's if you got your pencil ready, it's K-R-A-U-T, hammer, one word, 
Charles Krauthammer. Uh, so look him up and consider getting his book. Be a nice Christmas gift. Buy it for your dad and then read it. Um, well, you, that would that would be a little deceptive. So maybe you shouldn't do that. Just buy it for the family. And um, so the war on Christmas and the whole thing about atheism. I don't think they're having much success. So maybe it's just like um, Raul Castro. Maybe it's just something that we ignore. Just shrug it off and pursue our own lives and destinies. And I think that'll wrap it up for today. Oh, wait a minute. One thing, one thing, very, very quickly. Here's some okay. other article. Here's some other issues. Very quickly, I was going to talk about. There was a big teacher protest yesterday in 60 cities. So uh, find out about that. We were also going to talk about um, issues involving the impeachment of the President of the United States, Barack Obama. We'll, uh, so look into that some and educate yourself. Just type type in, you know, your search engine impeach Obama issues. And see what people are saying. I was surprised to hear that Senator Ted Cruz is talking about it, and uh, David Dewhurst, the Lieutenant Governor of Texas, is talking about it. So, and Felice has seen something that she will share with us, and and uh, people are talking about it. So, uh, who knows what will happen in the next few months? So, pay Which attention. It's really to interesting issues. because yes. uh, Professor Wilson has been saying that he's surprised that nobody's talking about it. Um, I believe that was, you know, the second or third show in, uh, Woody, you, you mentioned something along those lines. So, uh, you know, I don't know if our audience caught that. but you had Yes, I vaguely remember that. Uh -huh. Yeah, you had mentioned, and, uh, you know, then you thought, well, maybe it's because there's so much else on the table and they don't want, um, especially with uh, the issues um, that were happening, they didn't want the... Um, the focus to be changed and have a bunch of people rallying for him. But yes, right. uh, something right. happened locally that I will share, and uh, we'll we'll share it next week. Um, so join us next week, and we'll we'll continue on with this conversation. And then we will be taking a a two week break. But if you're listening to this audio, there are plenty of of other audios on iTunes as well as the website that you can listen to. And uh, we hope you do and share with your friends. So thank you again for a wonderful um, recording once again, Woody, and I will talk to you next week. My pleasure. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks so much for joining us for this episode of The Current Issues in the Constitution. If you'd like to join us live, visit our show page on ultimatehomeschoolradionetwork.com. And for more information about Professor Wilson's classes, visit AmericanHistoryKidsClass.com. See you next week.